demons. This is probably what many of you thought about when you heard we were going to be doing a series in spiritual beings, about spiritual beings, because demons are so prevalent in pop culture, right? Maybe not right. How many of you grew up, um, this is for church folk. I wasn't a church folk, so if you weren't a church folk like me, then you weren't a church folk. How, how many of you grew up in a church where they were like, demons are real, and then they're all over the place? Okay, some of you. Anybody grow up in a church where they were like, I don't think demons are real in their church, or they kind of pretended they weren't there? Anybody of those people? Okay. And then how many of you just didn't grow up in the church so you didn't know whether or not demons are real, but you kind of figured they were because you had bad neighbors and stuff? That was me. Seriously. I think in our culture, if you don't grow up in a church environment, you tend to believe that demons exist. And when I got saved, I thought, man, there would be some demonic pressure and power. Even today, um, my, the congestion level in Florida is on an all-time high, right? Some of you who are my fellow sufferers, it's all-time high, and you think, surely evil exists. Now, before we make this jump, because we've been in the Old Testament looking at spiritual beings, and today we're jumping to the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles, open to Mark chapter 5. That's where we're going to be planted primarily today. Because there are these creatures, these creatures that terrify, creatures that torment beings who were once created as good beings, but have rebelled from the God of creation. And now their sole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. This is the so far. Are you ready? I've got two cups of coffee, a Zyrtec D, Dayquil, and some snorting medicine that I've been taking that's legal. The Lord God has a divine counsel, according to Psalm 82. There's a spiritual family, this is week one, that God uses to rule and to reign in the spiritual realm, and those beings can interact with our physical realm. So far, we've looked about some of the Bible words. Yahweh is God's name in your Bible. And Genesis chapter 2 is the first time we see it. Genesis chapter 1, it's G-O-D, which is the word Elohim. In Genesis chapter 2, we see for the first time this appearing. In your English Bible, if you see all caps L-O-R-D, that is Yahweh. It is God's name. Like my name is Ryan and your name is whatever your name is. And God is often called the Lord God, the Yahweh Elohim. He is the God above all gods. There is no Elohim like him. If you haven't been here and you've missed this, Elohim is the Hebrew word for G-O-D. When you see G-O-D, whether it's uppercase or lowercase in your Old Testament, it is almost always this word or some variation of it. God is an Elohim because an Elohim is a disembodied spiritual being. Any being whose primary residence is in the spiritual realm is called throughout scripture at some point an Elohim. This would include all of these that we did last week, but I'm not camping on that. Bad guys, good guys, weird looking guys, powerful guys, powerful people. And they rule and they reign with this cosmic geography. See, the rebellion of the spirits, starting with the serpent in Genesis, led to the rebellion of humans. 
And Ephesians tells us that our enemy is not around us. It's not across the political aisle. Our enemy are the powers of darkness that are governing this present day. This is the first time I've ever put an emoji in a PowerPoint. Angels are messengers and they don't have wings. That's just for some of you to be sad because you grew up thinking otherwise. Now, you might think, well, sometimes cherubim and seraphim can be referred to as angels. Not generally. These are the ones that have wings. They're the throne creatures with eyeballs and weird heads and different shapes that represent things. But we didn't need to get into that just quite yet because now we're looking at dealing with demons. Demons are fallen angels and unclean spirits. In the Old Testament, the common prevailing belief that was outside of the Bible, so this is not biblical, so take this for what it's worth, but outside of the Bible, for example, in documents found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we see that the Old Testament Hebrew Israelites would have believed that the Nephilim, those weird hybrids we talked about a few weeks ago, half fallen, fallen Elohim and half human, it's when the, the spiritual beings came and made babies with women, the descendants of the Nephilim, according to these outside of the Bible literature, when they died because they weren't God created, their spirits roamed the earth, haunting. And it, they're called the Shadim, which is where we get the word shade from. Where you see in horror movies that black figure that moves quickly, and we call them shades, the Hebrews would have called them the Shadim. And they weren't necessarily good or bad, but they oftentimes would torment. Today we're looking at the demons as fallen angels and unclean spirits. Because the Bible, in the Bible, all we have is, yes, there are fallen spiritual beings in the Old Testament. Some get imprisoned. Some are tormenting. In the New Testament, we see in the book of Revelation, right before Jesus is about to be born, it's said that a third of the stars were swept out of the sky in rebellion to the birth of the Messiah. And their goal is to steal your worship from the Creator. Their goal is to literally kill your life. Their goal is to destroy your relationship with God and others. This is the desire of beings who exist. I'm not speaking metaphorically. I'm speaking in a spiritual reality sense according to the word of God. Oh, this is just to, you guys, my birthday is this month at the end. Somebody bought me the best birthday present I've ever had. You see this, okschurch.com? So I get this email, says, the text says, hey, go check your email. It says, verify that you want this email forwarded to your chapel email. And then he goes, check this out. Somebody, it's a joke at the chapel that we're not the greatest church, we're just the okayest church around. And somebody bought that domain name. So if you go to the okschurch.com, it will go to the chapel's website. So if you can't remember, what's the chapel's website? It's something weird, the chapelfh.org. Just go to okschurch.com. And then if it starts going to somewhere that's really bad, like if it links to something that's wildly heretical or whatever, it's Chris Cobb who did it. So that's you know who to blame, okay? He's in the lobby right now, I think. <laughs> but you can literally email me if you've got questions. At Pastor, I'm only using this email forever. <laughs> I love it. Here's a question that we had, and it relates to this. Did Elohim, these spirit beings that rebelled, did they rebel before people were created, or did the rebellion occur because God created people who could be led astray? Um, all that we know from Scripture is that there were none that had rebelled 
when God was laying the foundation of the earth. We know this from Job 38 verse 7 because it says all of the sons of Elohim were basically looking on at creation as, as Yahweh creators creating things. It said all of the sons of Elohim were there when he laid the foundation and they all shouted for joy. So sometime between when God started creation and when Adam and Eve were in the garden, the first part, uh, the first group or single Elohim rebels and says, I'm going to choose to make myself the center, and I want humans to make themselves the center because they didn't like God's plan. They, God's plan is for him to always be the most high. And it tells us in other parts of the Old Testament that the Satan, the adversary, Lucifer, the morning star, said, I want to be like the most high. So he was the first that rebelled. And then throughout the scriptures, we see different moments where different Elohim rebel. It's not just an all at once. It's similar to us. Some of you are great some days, and some of you are terrible other days. Some countries seem to be pursuing God and nations, and then they fall away. The Elohim, the spiritual beings in the spiritual realm that overlaps with our realm, they rebelled at least sometime right after the foundation of the earth was laid and the Garden of Eden was established. And then some rebelled in Genesis 6 when they saw the daughters of men and wanted to make those hybrid babies, the abominations that God wiped out. And then some rebelled at the birth of Jesus, which is probably why when you read the New Testament, you notice that there's a lot more demonic activity right when Jesus comes. There's hardly any in the Old Testament. But right when Jesus comes, they're everywhere. And today is the most famous story. This is kind of what you think of, right, when you think of demons. For some reason, they always have bat wings. And... um, or they look like goats. This is from a show that I watched called Evil because I feel like I'm obligated by vocational hazard to watch um, any show about demons. And it has an actor that I like who played Luke Cage in one of the Marvel series. He's a priest who's an exorcist. And this is what their demons all look like. Sort of like a Jim Henson but amped up two decades. Um, we don't know what they look like. But we do know that they influence people. We do know that their end is fire. You talk about hell, oftentimes people say, I don't want to go to hell. I often have to remind people, hell was not created for humans. Hell was created for, prepared for, the devil and his angels. Those humans that end up going to eternal fire are humans who basically said, I'd rather follow the devil and his angels' way of living. So God says, I will then let you go where the devil and his angels go. It's almost this weird, kind-hearted, father who says, I, you don't know what you want, but I'm going to let you do it because you're going to find out that it's not what you think it is. But this is the ultimate end of the demon we're going to learn about today. They came to the other side. So this is Jesus. We're in the New Testament. He's been doing these miracles. He's been healing people. He's been teaching to such a capacity that people are crowding him onto the boat and they're in the Sea of Galilee and they go across and depending on which version you're reading, that he's calming this storm and they're going across the sea to an area that would have had non-Jewish people as well as some Jewish people. And they came to the other side to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. This unclean spirit in another gospel is referred to as a demon. It's, they're synonymous. A man comes out of a tomb with an unclean spirit. You might be thinking, I, didn't, I don't believe in these things. I think I functionally used to not believe in them until uh, I had some weird encounters 
but that's maybe for another day or if my medicine really kicks in. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person. See, this is a person with an unclean spirit. And, and, and we learn in Matthew that, that spirits, and I need to say this for you because some of you are going to be freaking out. There, there are the ability for evil spirits to inhabit, to possess. Everyone say possess. Where's Nate at? Did you say it out loud? Okay, everyone say oppress. Possess is when an evil spirit inhabits someone like a puppet. Where the story we're going to read about is possession. There is oppression where demonic forces of evil will come around you. Now their goal is the same, to steal, kill, and destroy. And you, you might have had these voices that you wonder, man, what is this voice in my head? And you might think I'm crazy, but I promise you, most people that I talk to have more than one voice in their head. This might just be me. And if it's just me, if you're a medical professional, you can prescribe me something later. But you have this voice in your head, um, I'm hungry. When you're hungry, you think, I'm hungry, right? Most of us, you just think in your head, what do I want to eat? Some of us also have another voice in our head, and this is where you're all going to be crazy right now. Some of us have a voice in our head that will say, you are not worthy. Who are you to be doing that? Anybody have that voice? Yeah. So I'm glad that I'm not the only person. They used to call it multiple personality disorder or dissociative disorder. So I have two you voices in my head or my heart, and I have one I voice. The I voice is me. The you voices, there's one that reminds me how loved I am. There's one that reminds me how forgiven I am. And there's one that constantly wants to accuse. There's one that constantly wants to tear down. So apparently life isn't far off from the shoulder angel and the shoulder demon and Popeye. You see, but when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, like we're going to see here, it will pass through waterless places seeking rest, but it finds none. Then it says, I'm going to return to my house. An unclean spirit will be cast out and it goes out to the desert places, waterless places, because that's where unclean spirits lived. This is what the Hebrew people always associated with. Places of death or places in the deep ocean or places like tombs, that's where unclean spirits came from. That's where they dwelled. And it says, if, you, if you're possessed, if an unclean spirit has lived in you and someone casts it out of you, it'll go out for a bit, but then it'll say, hey, let's go check out that, that person we came out of. And when it comes, and if it finds a house empty, swept, and put in order, it says it'll go and bring seven other spirits with it. Now here's the terrifying thing, terrifying thing about evil spirits, is that... Um, you ask yourself, how can, can I be possessed? That should be a question. Can a Christian be possessed? I don't believe so. I, I believe that we can't be possessed because you are dead to yourself and alive in Christ. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And if you go back to this last scripture, it says that the spirits, they're going to go back and see if the house is still empty. And if it is empty, they're going to go get more spirits to jack up your life more. Now, how does this relate together? The, the voices outside or inside, the oppression, the possession. See, uh, possession is when they're inside. But if you have the Holy Spirit of God, they literally can't come inside because someone else lives in you. Oppression, they can do. I've found it common over the years to talk to people who have had what they believe to be 
demonic oppression, and they've described it eerily similar. Many have described it as laying in bed and feeling like a force is pressing them down and they can't get up. Many people have awoken in the night and they can't speak words because they feel like someone has their breath or their throat constrained. We see demonic activity in the Bible. And my first thing is if you are going through this, like get prayed for, and I, I'm not, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's just keep going. This is the picture of approximately where they would have been. This is at least what it would have looked like on the other side in the Gerasenes. So it's, this is not something we're talking about like out of a children's Bible, though I do have a picture from that later. This is a human being, God in the flesh, crossing over a boat after this insanely amazing miracle of telling water to be quiet. And a man runs out of the tomb. See, he lived among the tombs. No one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. You want to know if there's a, a demonic possession involved in a situation? It tends to be that people who are possessed by demonic beings, they, they either, they're out of, they're not in their right mind, which we're going to see. They can have strength that is unnatural. There's one demonic possessed person in the New Testament, a girl in the book of Acts, who could divine the future. And people leverage the evil spirit within her to make money. Now, I don't know about you, but Jesus gets out of the boat with his 12 friends and a man comes racing out of the tombs naked cut he had harmed himself he had supernatural strength i don't know what i'm doing in that moment A bleeding, cut, bruised psychopath running toward you, what do you do? See, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out. Night and day, he's not sleeping. You might think, well, I'm an insomniac. I'm not saying you're demon-possessed. I am saying that insomnia is part of the brokenness of this world. He was on the mountains and he was crying out and cutting. I don't know what a demon sounds like except for the ones that I believe I have run into. I do need to share this story. I'm on a missions trip. We're in a very famous place in Munich and we had just finished praying through a group of high schoolers and I was the youth pastor and the World Cup was on at this time. It was early 2000s, whatever. So all the guys are watching the World Cup and the girls in the group are sitting in this middle of this square area where there's like ancient cathedrals and then like an H&M clothing store. And all of a sudden, one of the girl leaders comes up and tugs on my shirt and says, uh, Pastor Ryan, something's going on. And I look over, and I'm always down for a fight, like any 10 out of 10, like I'm ready. And uh, I look over, and there's this creepy man walking around, just the female students. There's about 10 of the female students, and he's walking around them, and he's mumbling something. And I'm like, yeah, this is it. It's my time to shine. And I thought, he's just a crazy person. I'm going to put him out of his misery. So I go and I, he's walking around them, mumbling things, I presume in German. 
and my friend who lived in Germany at the time um, is with me. So he comes over. I'm like, I'm going to need you, not as backup because you're little, just to t translate what he's saying as I beat him. And um, I stand in front of him, and he, he just stops right in front of me, and he looks up at me. And then he says in English, um, why are you here? I'm like, oh, you do speak English. I said, well, we're just here to, to pray for your city, you know, to share the gospel. We're working with some refugees that are right outside the city that are part of this church group that we're with. And then he starts to get more irate. And then I'm like, girls, stand up. Leaders, take all the people, go. All the guys are like, put the World Cup. And I was like, something is not right here. Go. So they start going to the U-Bahn, the subway. And, um, and this guy now is confronting me. And I, I say that we're here on behalf of this church. And then he starts spitting on the ground, like right at my feet, spitting around. And he starts talking about the church. And then I said, man, we're just here to, to share the good news of Jesus. And then he starts saying, the son of God, the son of God. And this whole time I'm trying to make my way. I'm staying between him and the kids. And all of a sudden when I started talking about Jesus and we're here in the name of Jesus to bring hope and the gospel to this city, he sort of gets stuck and is leaning toward me and he's screaming in the middle of this. It would be like screaming at the International Mall here. It's not it's the exact same thing. There's just families, kids, women, eating, shopping, and he is screaming at the top of his lungs and he's lurching toward me but stuck like his feet couldn't move and I'm backing up and at this point still I'm like, bring it on. Like I'm so ready. But then I start freaking out. I'm like, what is going on? He's cursing the son. Uh, he's cursing the church and he's saying the son of God, the son of God, uh, be gone son of God. I'm cursing the church, cursing the church. And he was spitting and frothing and I was freaked out and I got in and I was like, well, that guy was kind of crazy. We get in the Ubon and my friend Matt goes, did you just see what happened? I was like, yeah, a crazy person. And he said, no, what? what he was following us and talking to us when you talked about the church, when you talked about prayer, but as soon as he said the name of Jesus, he was just stuck. And I didn't, I didn't pay attention to it, but I did know that I kept walking, and he was literally stuck in the middle of this square, screaming and shrieking and, and saying things in German, and then in English and German, and then in English. And my friend goes, I think that was a demon. And at first I was like, I don't know. And the more that I thought about it and processed it, I thought, well, there were some creepy things now, we have this notion, because we've seen movies, on how to deal with the demonic. They're strong. They're, they've been alive for millennia. Whether they are possessing you or oppressing you, whispering evil or, or trying to distract you from worshiping God in Christ, these beings are not idiotic. These beings know how to destroy. And it's not that I'm saying you have a demon, or a demon is necessarily around you if you are constantly awake, if you are harming yourself. But we need to know that this is what evil wants to do. It wants to make you harm yourself. It wants to destroy your relationships. It wants to distract you from your relationship with God. And it wants to, but it can't because ultimately there is an authority that is higher than them. You see, this demonic being, when he comes down and he sees Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice. I don't know how this voice sounds, but I feel like it would be like some sort of creepiness. Maybe not though. What have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high. He knows that Jesus is the son of the most high Elohim. This fallen Elohim, this rebellious Elohim looks at Jesus and says, what have you to do with me? 
I adjure you by God, do not torment me. He knows, he knows that his end place is torment. The beings that rebelled know that their ending is eternal fire and they don't understand what God is doing through Jesus. This demonic being is scared. So when you sense that there is evil in your life or in your presence or in your home or around someone you love, remember that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And I know that we're thinking that that means that I'm a champion and a conqueror. No, that means literally that the spirit of Christ who is in you doesn't leave you alone, doesn't leave you powerless. And it's not about you. I, I don't like the, the exorcism deliverance things where someone yells at a demon, in the name of Jesus, come out. I said, come out, come out, come out. I don't like, I don't have to do that. Jesus is the creator of all. You can say to an evil spirit, if there's one there, in the name of Jesus Christ, leave this person and torment them no longer. And that's it. I don't have to fight a demonic power. I don't want to. They're older. They've been around longer. They're cunning and conniving. But the power of Christ in us is greater than the power of evil in any spiritual being that's, that's oppressing or possessing any person. You see, he was saying, Jesus was saying to him, come out, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And this is where exorcists in the movies get this idea that you have to find the demon's name. You don't have to. But Jesus said, and I always picture Jesus so calm, what is your name? What's your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Remember that verse we looked at? If a demon leaves, gets cast out, he'll go out into the wilderness, and then he's going to go check out that person that they left, that person that they didn't have, and they're going to bring more spirits back. This one said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Legion meant thousands, and we're going to find out, you know, a good hint on why that is the case here in this story. And he begged him earnestly. The demon, the demon Legion, whose name is many, they begged Jesus earnestly to not send them out of the country. If you were here through this series, you, you remember that when God separated the people at the Tower of Babel. It said that he separated the people based on the number of sons of Elohim that were there to govern. So there are these geographical uh, regions in the spiritual realm that overlap with our physical realm. There's a reason why they said don't send us out of the country because spirits are bound, they're bound to geography in a, in a unique way. It doesn't mean they're stuck there, but these, these demons are specifically saying, Jesus, like, don't send us out of the country. We want to be here. This is our, our place. And I think it's so weird that a demon is having a conversation with Jesus because we only see the version of the exorcist or the curse of Emily Rose in our minds. This idea of legion, it terrifies me because what would it feel like to have as a human being who succumbed to evil, to have all of these different voices ripping through your mind. And, and I only want to make this point for some of you who may be wondering, like, am I crazy? Am I demon-possessed? Am I demon-oppressed? How many voices are in my head? I don't feel like myself half of the time. I just want to point out to you that a possession would be very clear to those around you. Possession will cause people to not be in their right mind, to physically harm themselves, and there will be some 
supernatural show of strength generally or abilities as we see in the scripture or some great malice, the, the inability to speak or to move your body, to seize up and shriek. You see this idea of legion in the minds of people, this, this, mind, this man was shattered. This man was in control, uh, was taken control of by a whole horde. And, and these demons exist today. The same ones that inhabited this man exist today. There's no record we have in the Bible of these particular demonic beings being imprisoned. And they don't live and die like we do. They continue on until the judgment day. There's a herd of pigs feeding there on the hillside. And the demons begged him, saying, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. The question that you maybe should ask is, why is Jesus just letting him go on? Why doesn't he just snap his fingers and evaporate them, eviscerate them? God is using broken spiritual beings, rebellious spiritual beings, and faithful ones to carry out his will. It's his spiritual family, both the good and the bad. Just like God is using in our realm, the earthly realm, those who follow Christ and those who don't. There's no president who exists that God did not put in that place, according to Daniel 2. God is not incapable of moving, and he wants us as humans to participate in the governing of this world, and he wants his spiritual family to participate in the governing of that realm. And they will come to their ultimate end. But I love that when they ask Jesus a question, Jesus has to give permission, because he is the most high God in the flesh. There's no other being that is going around saying, I will give you permission, you 2,000 spirits. And it says they entered the pigs, and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down to the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Why did they do that? Because what do demons come to do? Steal, kill, destroy. So when you see someone or something in culture that's aimed at stealing, killing, and destroying, it's demonic. It might be a demon up here or a demon in or a demon around. So I will say, like, abortion is demonic. Self-harm. Like, I, you don't want to know the statistics about the number of young girls specifically who harm themselves. I'm not saying you have a demon. If you're here, I'm saying that there's freedom. Because evil spirits want to imprison you in a pattern of stealing, destruction, and death. And when Jesus said, I've come to set you free, to set captives free, he's not just saying, I'm going to jailbreak everybody. He's saying, there are chains of evil that are wrapped around lives of people, and I'm coming to set them free, to break chains of people who feel the need to harm themselves, to break chains of people who feel the need to harm others, to break chains of people who feel like they are trapped in their own mind and they can't escape. See, when demons go into the pigs, the pigs don't have the human soul, so they just go straight to the death. But what's brilliant about this is that the Bible, or this is the Bible app, the version app that you all use, their kids app is brilliant. <laughs> you guys, what? If you get this app for your kids, I recommend, but Bella loves it. You can like touch the characters and they're like, meh, meh. And then the pig one, I'm like, this is crazy. It's just like a murder massacre. And I like, 
I'm, I, I, th- I want to think that this is like Timothy, like, no way. No, I didn't believe, I don't believe it. This guy's smiling, doesn't even know what's happening. That's Peter. He's got ADHD for sure. And, and it's, I mean, we put it in kids' Bibles, but it's a wild story, like a demonic being. Ah, don't send us out of the country, Jesus. Send us into those pigs. Fine, go into the pigs. They go into the pigs. All the pigs die. The herdsmen fled. The herdsmen were like, that's our job. You just took our business and it jumped into the ocean. They went and told it in the city and the country and the people who came to see what it was, what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, calm, clothed, no longer naked, in his right mind, thinking clearly, and they were afraid. Why would you be afraid? If you're the people who were chaining up this man in the tombs, you're the people who said, the evil in you needs to be shackled in the places of the dead, now you see him healed and you're afraid. Now why would that cause fear? Because what type of person is strong enough to subdue something that these people could not subdue? What type of power must be in this Jesus that he could take out this many spirits, enough evil to fill a whole herd of pigs that drive them to their death, and now this man who we shackled, this man who we saw chained, this man who we saw slash himself, why, what, how? So they were afraid. I I feel like we want just enough Jesus that makes us happy, but not so much Jesus that we see him for who he really is. Because if we saw Jesus, if we knew Jesus for who he was, and we saw these things throughout the whole book of Mark, everyone's afraid. The disciples saw this, they were afraid. Jesus calmed the storm, they were afraid. Jesus cast out the demon, everyone's afraid. Because the power walking among them was so immense that they didn't know how to comprehend it. They didn't have a a box for it to fit in. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart. Jesus, whatever you are, please leave. I've heard sermons, well, they begged him to leave because he killed all their pigs. Well, that's already a done deal. No, they're begging him to leave because they are terrified of the power that lives in him, in Christ. That power, by the way, lives in you if you have your faith in Christ to the fullness So they begged Jesus, Jesus, we knew how crazy that guy was, and you just made him whole by speaking a couple of lines? And you sent spirits to their death? We can't deal with that much of you here. We just wanted enough of a good teacher. Give us some moral lessons. Don't take absolute control over the spiritual realm and the earthly realm. Do you realize that when the Bible says that there's not a sparrow on a branch and the whole world that, that is outside of our Father's care, that the Bible means that, that God is monitoring, seeing, watching, guiding every little bird, and then we have the audacity to worry. It's because we vastly underestimate the power of, of Jesus as the creator. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him. So we have these guys saying, Jesus, leave. And then we have this begging down here. He begged him. The guy who was possessed, the guy who was chained, the guy who would still have scabs and scars from these cuts, says, Jesus, 
take me with you. This is the saddest thing for me. Like this guy just met the creator of the universe packed into human flesh. This guy knew the darkness that he was just freed from. And he says, Jesus, take me with you. I got to go. What do you think Jesus would say to such a request? Of course, right? Yes, come with me. No. <laughs> what? He said, no, you can't come with me. But I just met you. You just saved my life. I need to take a church membership class, Jesus. I need to take evangelism 101, Jesus. I need to learn apologetics. Jesus, I need at least two translations of the Bible that you haven't even fully inspired yet. He said, no, you can't come with me. Instead, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. People that tell me, I just don't know how to talk about Jesus. I don't know how to share the gospel. This is all God is telling us. This is all Jesus is telling us. Whatever God has done for you, just go tell that to someone else. If you don't have anything to tell someone, then maybe you haven't encountered the God of the Bible. Which makes me scared of a sort for you because these evil beings run throughout and they're so powerful and they're not to be trifled with. See, Jesus says, don't come with me. Instead, go back and just tell them what you know. That's all of the discipleship that this guy got. By the time Paul returns to this region in the book of Acts, there were multiple cities that already knew the gospel of Jesus because this guy went and said, I had darkness in me, a lot of it. And this rabbi came from across the sea after a stormy night and he kicked it all out, gave me some clothes, put me in my mind, and now I just want to tell everyone about it. He went away. He just began to proclaim to the Decapolis, the, the 10 cities of that region. And by the time Paul gets there, they all knew. Paul's like, what happened over here? Jesus just smirking up on his throne. So how do you resist evil? See, there's so many stories in the Bible. My favorite, uh, one of my favorite demonic stories, because I just think it's so beautiful. Um, there's these seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 16. And they're casting out demons like this. In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out of that man. Because you can make money doing this. You can make money, there, there are people today that are professional exorcists if you go on YouTube. For the low, low fee of whatever money, they will come and cast a demon out for you. You guys, I will come and do it for half the price that they're charging you, okay? But these seven sons of Sceva said, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out of this person. And they come up on some demon, some demonic-filled person, and they say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out of this person. And the demonic-possessed person says, we know Jesus, we've heard of Paul, but who are you? And it says the demon-possessed man beat him up until they were naked. Like, that's pretty wild. Like, when you get beat up until your pants fall off, like, you got really beat up. There's the demonic-possessed girl in the book of Acts. There's de de demonic-possessed people. Then there's demonic-oppressed people. If you want to terrify yourself, go on YouTube and just type in the Screwtape Letters audiobook. You'll be terrified. It's by C.S. Lewis, the guy who wrote the Narnia thing with the happy lion that's also dangerous. He wrote a book about two demons, an, an elder demon and a younger demon, riding back and forth about how to tempt a human. It will terrify you, and it's not scripture, 
but it's based on C.S. Lewis's understanding of how the forces of darkness work. Because if they can't get inside you, if you're a believer, they will do whatever they can to go outside of you. They, they want to destroy you. They gather in groups to destroy humans. Like we gather in small groups or micro churches all around the, the country and the world. Like, hey, get in community, get in community. There's also communities of evil spirits saying, how are we going to mess up? How are we going to destroy and steal and kill all of these people? So how do you resist? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. It's very simple. Submission is not just beating yourself into submission. It's saying, God, you are my God and I have no other. You are the God that I trust in. You are the God that I believe in. And when evil, the devil in this context is used as the adversary, the one who comes against you, when an evil presence comes against you, if you submit to God and resist, then the devil will flee from you. That sounds nice. Sometimes I don't think we realize we have that authority in Jesus. To simply resist and say, God is my God. We don't have to put the theatrics around it. We just say, no, the God of the Bible is my God. Jesus Christ is my Savior. I am not giving in to this evil. I'm not listening to this whisper that says, you are not worthy. That says, who are you to stand up and do this? Who are you? to do this thing. The, the voice that tears down is either my sin or evil from outside of me. The voice that is the you voice, Y-O-U voice that built up, I believe is the spirit inside of me. The voice inside of me that says, I want Chipotle all the time, that's Ryan. I want Chipotle, me. You are loved. You are accepted, Ryan. You are alive in Christ, Ryan, the spirit of God. You are worthless, Ryan. Who are you to believe that God could love you? How could God love you, Ryan? The you negative, the you positive, and the I voice. Some of you are going to be freaked out the rest of the day. You're going to be like, oh, I have all of them too. You're welcome. Be sober-minded. Think clearly. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. His plan, his purpose is to prowl so that he can eat you. I told my son, I said, don't, don't wear headphones like at night and stuff when you go out because we got them those beats, sound canceling. Parents, if you haven't bought your kids noise canceling headphones, don't do it. Pro tip, just don't do it. You have to call them to get their attention. And I said, don't wear headphones around because you're just like an easy mugging target. And, and I guess if you grew up in a different way, you don't think this way. But where I grew up, you had to pay attention because you could get assaulted. My best friend got skateboard hit in the head, brass knuckled in the face because he was mouthing off. My bikes got stolen pretty much regularly. Like this is where I grew up. And there you were sober-minded. If you walked at night, you were so wrong. I see people walking through Fishhawk, walking through my neighborhood, just dilly-dallying around like they're in a care in the world. And I know that our neighborhoods might be safer, but I also know that humans can be wicked. I know that we as believers, we fall into the trap of thinking, it's all good. The devil's not concerned with me. He's going after the pastors. You think, you think that's the case? You think that's the case only that God's like, I'm going to take over. I'm going for the Billy Grahams. I'm going for the local pastors. No, 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 no. 
there are thousands, tens of thousands of evil spiritual beings. And they want to kill, steal, and destroy from anyone. Those who are not yet sealed by the Holy Spirit, they're trying to literally kill their lives. Those of us who are following Christ and our faith is in Jesus, they're trying to do whatever they can to steal our worship from God and put it on something else. To take something where we're supposed to have hope and instead give us despair. This is their job. And we just think, well, they're not after me. They're after someone else. I talked to two people today and said, I need you to give me six Sundays between now and September. Six Sundays. They said, for what? I said, to teach children. I asked two specific people so far because I feel like these these are men who I know love the Lord. And our children need you who love the Lord to speak life to them. Because the lies that are going to permeate, go into the minds of our children are so quick and so vast that we can't catch them. So we need to speak truth to the children here. I can say this whole sermon, it's not going to make much of a difference, to be honest. It might make you aware for a little bit. It might make you think, is there evil around me? I'm not sure. But I need you to understand that evil spirits are prowling to devour you. And if you are not sober-minded, taking out your noise-canceling headphones, if you're not looking around, if you watch me in any store, I'm looking over my shoulder, and I was not even in the military or a police officer. You know who you are here. You're broken. Some of you here, my brother, in any room, he's got to like, he counts all the exits. He's ready for action. He can't sit in a restaurant, and sometimes I do it just to trigger his PTSD. I'll take the seat that faces the door, and you could just see him like, I know, I know. I usually switch, but I just like to see him sweat a little bit. Thanks for telling us that you struggle. We'll pray for you. And I'd, he, he's a good sport about it, because he could probably kill me pretty quick. But you, you have to be sober, be clear-minded. See, your enemy's going to come after you when you're foggy-minded, when you're tired and exhausted, which is why the temptation of Jesus, which is in this week's study guide that goes with this sermon, it, you look at the temptation of Jesus. Jesus is like, look, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to go in tired and hungry. 40 days I'm not going to eat, and I'm going to go in into the devil's area, the desert, the place of evil spirits. He's going to tempt me on his ground, on his turf, and I'm going to stand, and I'm going to show you how to depend on the spirit in those situations. Sober-minded means that you, your mind is on things, thinking clearly, and watchful means you're looking around, looking over your shoulder, being aware of your surroundings spiritually, standing firm in your faith. Resist him, how? Ultimately, firm in your faith. Resisting him is not firm in your ability to say, I am more powerful. It's saying, I can resist the devil by staying firm in my faith in Jesus Christ. You resist evil by going to your belief in who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished on the cross. You resist evil by not just saying the name of Jesus aloud because the seven sons of Sceva said, I cast you out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demons are like, we know Paul, we we know Jesus, we've heard of Paul, you're dead. No, no, we run to our belief and trust in Jesus when evil knocks at the door. All of this, sorry baby, I know it's scary. All of this because um, this, this past week, really this past two months, this new year, I've seen evil rip through people and relationships. I've seen evil 
break down teenagers to feel like there's no hope. Some of you here are like, I think evil has me. You may not feel possessed, but you feel like evil is winning, and I don't know what to do about it. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Go back to the faith and find hope. Be sober-minded and watchful. Resist him and he will flee. This is the call of Christ if you're struggling today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you rule the spiritual realm and the physical realm. I thank you that you govern and have authority over all of the demonic. Lord, you sent this horde of evil spirits into a herd of pigs. And there are people here today, Lord, that are terrified, that are walking out of these doors thinking, is a demon oppressing me? Is a demon trying to possess me? And there are so many questions. I pray that people wouldn't leave and let questions just linger. I pray that we would come to the cross to, to be reminded of the gospel, that when you said all authority on heaven and earth is yours, you meant it. On heaven and on earth, you have all the authority. And when you gave us your spirit, our house is full so that evil cannot live inside us. And you give us your word and you give us prayer and you give us one another to be watchful. So help people in here who feel alone find that partner that will stand back to back in the middle of a battle to keep eyes behind them and next to them. Lord, help us to not give in to evil, but to resist by turning to our faith in your Son. Lord, for those who have questions, I pray they wouldn't leave without at least texting or asking the question. For those who need prayer, for those who feel oppressed, for those who have questions, for those who are harming themselves, don't let them leave today, Lord, without getting hope and help and prayer in the back or in the front. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.